Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join HealthBird community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. This episode is brought to you by Bupos. Attention entrepreneurs, are you ready to take your business aspirations to new heights? Allow me to introduce you to Bupos, the ultimate solution for finding and funding your SaaS and subscription-based business acquisitions. With Bupos, you'll experience a seamless and worry-free process. They offer flexible funding and require absolutely no personal guarantee. I mean, again, you can go there, you can explore over a thousand opportunities pre-approved for financing, ensuring that you invest in a business with true profit potential. Bupos has got you covered. Their team actually provides one-on-one advisory support to help you making informed decisions. And on Bupos, you gotta remember, they've already approved over 700 million in funding and they've written over 3,000 businesses, finance hundreds of successful business acquisitions and have an impressive 4.7 out of five stars on Trustpilot. So you should go to bupos.com forward slash dealmakers, and that is bupos as B-O-O-P-O-S dot com forward slash dealmakers. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder, a founder that has done it multiple times. You know, we're going to be talking about all the good stuff that we like to hear, scaling, financing, exiting, uh, all of that stuff. I mean, it's incredible, you know, how he landed into tech because that was not in his plans. Uh, but we're going to be, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, building global teams, fundraising, especially in economic downturns. I think that that's going to be very um very nice topic, you know, given the macro environment that we're dealing with and then also getting out of your comfort zone. You know, he has written a really interesting book that we'll talk about as well. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Alon Arbatz. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. How are you? Very well, very well. So so give us a walk through memory lane. You were born in Tel Aviv, the startup nation. So, uh, so how was life growing up there in Israel? Yeah, it was amazing uh, growing up uh, in Israel. Um, I always say that, you know, my tech entrepreneurship uh, career started at a very young age. You know, one with my, my mom giving me the confidence to do amazing stuff and trust myself. And also, I was, I've grown up as a son to a father who has always been a CFO to tech companies. And I think that, like, you know, going to dad's work and see the tech companies and everything there, you know, got me a, a lot very excited and very motivated toward doing things in the tech world. That's incredible. Now, obviously, you didn't land in the tech world by, 
you know, by because of you were like, oh my god, I want to do this. It was like one of the events that happened there, you know, especially when you were doing the military, you know, and because it's mandatory there, you know, to do the military services. But basically, one of the events there that happened that kind of like push you, you know, into looking into, I would say, pastures, you know, that were a little bit greener. So uh, what happened? Yeah. So first of all, I can tell you through high school, uh, I got exposed to computer science and it really bored me. I was like, I don't want to do something related to computer science. My principal pushed me to do computer science. I said, no way. And when it was time to recruit to the military, I actually decided I want to go to infantry, right? And I recruited to infantry and I started training. And actually, after a few weeks during uh, shooting training, I hurt my hearing and I got kicked out of infantry. They told me, you cannot be here anymore. Uh, and I went to the HR of infantry. I can tell this was like one of the most devastating things that happened to me. I was like completely, you know, a, a wreck. I remember the day when I was announced, I went back to the base and I was supposed to climb a rope, which was the th one of the things that was the best one. And I just couldn't climb it because of the lack of motivation because I knew it's over. Um, and as it happened, I just started crying. I thought this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. But when I moved to HR of infantry and the IDF, I started thinking, okay, how I can leverage the situation and I thought that it could be best for me and really fit my, my capabilities to go to the intelligence corps. So I started a campaign of driving crazy the entire IDF to move me from infantry to the intelligence corps. And it went very successful. And a few months later, I landed in the 8200. There I got exposed to technologies and cyber security and I learned that like Tech is not only writing code. There is a lot more to it. It's a complete world, especially cybersecurity, you know, cyber attacks and security and defense. Fascinating world. And this is where I learned all my cybersecurity and technological uh, knowledge and gained my expertise. And this is how I started my career in tech and tech entrepreneurship. So how do you start looking into accounting as well? Because it sounds like now you are into you know, the world of tech, but accounting, how did accounting come knocking? Yeah, it's, it's a very good uh, question. I think that 8200 is a place where entrepreneurship is something that many people aspire to do. Actually, you can, you know, sit for lunch with your soldier, a friend of yours, and you will talk about, you know, what type of venture you're going to do after your military service. So I think that after my 8200 service, I know that I want to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know how to start. You know, I've never done entrepreneurship. How did you first steps? What do you do? And like everyone goes to university, I said, I said to myself, okay, I go to university, but let's learn stuff that can help me with entrepreneurship. Computer science was a big no-no because I didn't want to get into coding again. Uh, so I thought, okay, law and accounting is something that I can learn and can help me as I build a company, for example. Let's start studying and see where it takes me. I can tell that my father, he's a CFO. He learned accounting. He told me, Alon, I beg you, just not accounting. Just not accounting. And like a good boy, I went to study accounting. Uh, but very fast, I realized that, you know, this uh, university and studying is not exactly for me. And started my career as an entrepreneur. But the, on the good side is uh, the way that you started was by founding a non-for-profit 
to really help people with uh, financial illiteracy. And, uh, and basically, you know, at least you put it, you know, the understanding of numbers into work, you know, to really helping others. And in fact, you know, this is, this is something that, uh, that you've been pushing for quite some time, Canfake SF. So, um, so yeah, so tell us what, what exactly do you guys do there? Yeah, so I can tell you that one of my first experiences from studying accounting is that I'm learning crucial stuff about money, about interest, about banks, that I'm asking myself, how come I finished like 12 years of the education system in Israel, and no one taught me this basic stuff that every person should know. And, uh, you know, I was started to feeling it, I was, and I said, okay, I have to do something about it. So with a friend of mine that also studied with me accounting, we founded Confec SF, which is a nonprofit to teach financial literacy to teenagers. So they could learn the important and actually very basic stuff that I've learned when I was 22, 23. They can learn it now when they're 13, 14, 15 and become a lot more prepared to life. So actually this accounting decision led me to build my first a venture, you can say, non-profit, small scale, I have to say, but that was the first step for, of building myself as an entrepreneur. Now, in this case, you know, for you, I mean, you were also at the same time building Cyber School, which is the, uh, the first rodeo and also the first full cycle that you were able to experience as a founder. What were you guys doing at Cyber School? Exactly. So first of all, I can tell that every company that I founded, you know, was another step towards the next company. So Config SF, he taught me how to sell. I've never sold anything before. He built my network in the education system in Israel. So it gave me a lot of leverage to build Cyber School, which was actually um, a training and education company for teenagers just in cybersecurity. So we start with my network. We build the curriculum. We start marketing it to schools across Israel and start building an entire organization that supported dozens of courses, uh, workshops, even one summer camp in Israel. And we also expand that to the U.S. Okay, we had this crazy dream. Okay, let's now do it in the U.S. I just, you know, went to the U.S. for two weeks. We got meetings, you know, every day, like three, four meetings. I just went school by school to market what we do. Um, it was amazing. Like we reached around like a hundred, you know, projects a year. And at some point, actually, when we came with the idea to our tech startup, which was what we really wanted to do, we decided to sell a uh, cyber school. Um, and it went, we went for a process of identifying potential acquirers. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to, I'm sorry, it's a lot harder to sell an education company than a tech company. So identifying the potential buyers is very hard, especially when we wanted to do it very fast because we want to start with insights, our tech startup. Uh, but we, were manage, we managed to, track, to identify two potential buyers and we went through a process of bidding with the two of them. And essentially within, I, I think, like six months, we sold Cyber School and move ahead to building insights. That's incredible. So then, so then tell me about, you know, to the, um, the, um, how did that go about, you know, that transition, you know, because that's a really interesting transition that happened there, you know, landing into what is uh, arguably, you know, the biggest 
you know, company that you've built, you know, today, obviously right now you're on another rocket ship, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But a really interesting transition there, you know, into insights that they ended up being a smashing hit of an outcome, you know, with a really nice transaction to a publicly traded company, Rapid7. So, so tell us about how did the, um, the idea come to life? How did the, um, the team, you know, come together and what, what ended up being the business model there? Oh, great question. So first of all, um, my co-founder at Insights was a guy. He was also my co-founder at CyberSchool. Back then, he was a consultant to financial organizations in Israel for cybersecurity, how to build their cybersecurity program, basically. And back then, he realized that the way organizations consume intelligence about upcoming cyber attack is very uh, archaic, okay? So everything is manual. Uh, when you get an alert about a credential that were leaked or an upcoming attack that emerged in the dark web, for example, it takes days, sometimes a month, until you're being alerted about that. And it's also very hard to take action because everything was delivered in the form of a PDF document and you need to start extracting the data from this document and using it and implementing it in your system. So it was all, always late. Um, and it was also very hard to take action where his idea, Guy's idea, was to actually automate this process, automatically collect the data from the web, analyzing it with AI to surface only what's relevant to the organization and also help them take action and prevent the upcoming attack. So the idea was born from Guy's experience with these organizations. But the problem was that both of us, you know, always stayed away from computer science and programming. And we had to find the person can lead the technology development ahead. So this is when I approached Gal, who was our CTO. Gal and I did a bunch of cyber offensive operations together in 8200. This is how we met. Actually, on the last day of my service, I came to Gal and told him, Gal, one day we'll do something together. I don't know how, I don't know when, but remember, mark my words. One day we'll do something together. He laughed at me, told me alone. I heard that a lot. I have uh, uh, two more years of service. Okay, I'll talk in the future. But uh, two years later, it happened. Okay, and he joined us. And we started working. We had no idea what we were doing. It was our first tech experience for both of us. We've never worked for a tech company before. Um, and we just started developing the platform and selling it. Like, we didn't even think about fundraising. Just when we reached out a distributor to help us sell the product in the US and in Europe. And he was like, hey, why don't you fundraise? We told him, wow, sounds like a cool idea. Okay, how do we do that? And he just connected us with an Israeli VC uh, that focused on cybersecurity, Gilot Capital. We met them, they loved us. We had honestly a lot of luck because they looked at, their, at that space at the exact same time. So they knew the space. We didn't come with a presentation. We just came with a demo. We didn't have to explain the competition, the market landscape, but they knew all about it because they already knew the space and were looking at it already. So they liked the, the, our idea. They liked the team. And like, like a month later, we got the term sheet. Wow. So how much capital prior to the transaction, how much capital did you guys raise in total? So we raised uh, $70 million until the acquisition. It was like uh, four rounds. Okay, the first one was $1.8 million. Like today, for an Israeli cybersecurity 
company, $1.8 million for a seed, that's like nothing, right? Uh, but back then it was, it was a lot. Uh, and we had to deal with that. You know, we had to be very, very scrappy and make things happen. And obviously, I mean, you guys scaled the uh, company really nicely. You know, you reached the 400 customers prior to, um, to the transaction and also with really nice uh, annual recurring revenue there. But I guess as you guys were going from one life cycle to the next, you know, in raising that 70 million, how did you see also the expectations from investors shifting and what did change, you know, when you guys were pitching the company? Yeah, no, it has shifted uh, tremendously. Uh, first of all, my overall feeling, like in a startup, is that every quarter, it's a different company. That's what my overall feeling. Every quarter, it's a different company, right? Different requirements, different expectations, and everything is changing. And I also saw that from the investor's expectation perspective. So first of all, in the beginning, obviously, it's mostly around the team um, and the vision, the story you can tell, right? As you evolve, it becomes a lot more about numbers. And also the KPIs that you look at changes accordingly. So in the beginning, it's only about, okay, how much you can sell. Later on, it's a lot more on how much you can retain and how much expansion you can do. So also the KPIs you look at has changed all the time. And suddenly when you need also to have very strong sales and very strong retention and expansion, it's become, it becomes extremely hard. Right, because this many times this KPIs contradict. You can push for features that can help you more sell the product. Okay, things that look look better, that the things that, you know people that catch people's eyes, for example. Or you can focus on things that provide the ongoing day-to-day -day value. So these KPIs also contradict, and balancing it was extremely challenging. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I gotta tell you that. You know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then so then in terms of like balancing this and, and finding it extremely challenging, I mean, how did you go about finding a breakthrough there? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I can tell you that um, it wasn't easy. Okay. 
uh, especially when you have a global team and you have a customer success team and you have a sales team and you have the engineering and services teams in Israel, it becomes extremely hard to align everyone around the strategy. And I can tell that it happened to me multiple times that I, we developed a feature. We thought in Israel, wow, that's amazing. That's going to change the projection of the company. And then we come to the customer success team and they say, why did you develop it? Okay, it's not going to help us. Or to the sales team. And they're saying, why did you build like that? Why did you build like that? And it happened to us multiple times. And that's created a lot of frustration because you develop so much time, so much effort in developing something and you don't get the recognition, you know, and, and like the, the good feedback that you expect from your teammates across the ocean. So it was for us one of the big challenges and we realized that is to create this alignment across the organization and make sure that everyone understands the strategy and everyone follows the same strategy. Because if my sales team go after like very big enterprises and I develop a product for mid-market, that's a recipe for a disaster, okay? And this is why we had to go in a path of building the strategy, align everyone around that, and make sure the product, sales, marketing, customer success, all follow the same strategy. We actually, I personally took like a time off from my you know, main mission of building product and engineering, and decided to focus purely on building the strategy of the company, understanding what is the, the profile of companies that we target, and from there derived the product strategy, sales strategy, marketing strategy. We called it the Phoenix Project, and that really, like you know, that was a tipping point for the company around creating healthier, you know, uh, uh, collaboration between the different teams across the board, and actually create a lot of excitement and energy that goes across the entire company because now everyone, you know, into the same direction, and everyone knows what is being developed. And why? And everyone are aligned around this why. And that's for us made a huge difference. So in this case, at what point does Rapid7 come knocking? So it's actually, it came pretty much by surprise. So um, funny enough, at this point, we had a term sheet for the next round, for a growth round, for an investor, existing investor. And he was the one that connects us to Rapid7 for a partnership. Right. So when we came to Rapid7, it was like, yes, let's do a partnership. This is how our products align. This is how we can work together. You can do you can OEM our product and essentially build a complete solution. We'll give you the intelligence about the threats, help you understand what happened on the enemy territory, and you can protect from the inside. So we built this amazing story. We came for the meeting, we told them that. And after the meeting, one of the guys from Rapid Time and told me, Alon, can you stay on the call for a few more minutes? I was like, yeah, for sure. And he was like, yeah, Alon, are you, uh, are you interested to do something strategic with Rapid7? Uh, strategic is a code name for we want to acquire you. Yeah. And I was like, listen, we have a term sheet on the table. We come to the next round. We're not looking for acquisition, but hey, if you have a very good proposal and you can do it very fast, we're open to hear about it. And actually, like two days later, we started like a sprint of like rapid learning about 
insights and doing like due diligence. Uh, they were they were based in Boston. We were in Israel, so every day like a Boston afternoon, Israel night, we got like 30, 40 questions from Rapid Seven. Israel morning, building all the slides to present all the information. Um, um, Eastern time morning, presenting it. Easter time afternoon, again, 30, 40 questions. This is how we went about for a week. In the end of the new week, they told us, hey, you know, we want to give you a proposal. Uh, we started talking the price a bit. We saw that the price is in the range that we wanted. And then uh, we went ahead with, you know, the um, LOI, talking to the investors, obviously, you know, to take it with them as well. And from there, it was, you know, due diligence process up until the uh, signage of the last uh, agreement. That's amazing. And it ended up being reported for $350 million. So uh, that's incredible. What a, what a fantastic outcome. Now, obviously, as they say, you know, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So, <laughs> you know, obviously, you were probably going to help there, you know, like with the transition and all of that stuff. But, hey, you know, eventually, they, it comes knocking again. And in your case, you know, that was with 0.5. So how did the idea of 0.5, you know, come to you? And why do you think it was meaningful enough to take the plunge? Yeah. So actually, a 0.5 idea was born from our experience at Rapid7. For us, it was the first time we experienced working for an enterprise and working for an American enterprise. So a lot of things were very new and we learned a lot from that experience. And one of the things that we learned is in the struggle of big enterprises to manage their cloud cost and optimize their cloud cost, especially with anything related to optimize the way you use the infrastructure, not getting discounts for AWS, but actually fine tune the way you use the infrastructure, which essentially requires engaging with engineers and make them to take action. So the solution in the market today are really focused on the financial aspects of cloud cost and getting discounts from AWS and forecasting your spend and find and, and making sure you meet your budget requirement, etc. Like the financial aspect, we said we'll build a platform for engineers to help them manage their cloud cost efficiency. We felt this is lacking. We saw the guy responsible for cloud cost chasing engineers across the entire organization. And we felt that this is wrong. This is not how it's supposed to happen. And we felt like with the economic downturn and uh, with a lot of organization, you know, shifting focus to becoming more optimized, becoming more efficient, this is the right timing to develop this platform that will help the organization manage their cloud cost efficiency. So at that point, we felt like there is a huge opportunity. We talked within our network a bit to organizations that are facing similar problems. We realized it's a big problem, and we realized it's a big enough problem and a big enough market, we decided to leave Rapid7 actually before the end of the period of our earnout, of the whole day. So we gave out a lot of money because we felt, you know, this is the right time, this is the right idea. We we're really passionate about it, and we decided this is more important for us than anything else. Wow, how much time did you have uh, still in in the in the in the vesting that you needed to be there in terms of time? Uh, we had to stay one more year. Wow, so you were like, I'm not sticking around here for one more year. Let's go. All right, so I guess for the people <laughs> listening, how how do you guys make money in point five? You know, what's the business model there? 
Yeah, so basically the business model is pretty simple. It's an, an annual subscription. We have the tiered model that derived from uh, how much you use your infrastructure. Uh, we're targeting mainly enterprises, right? So the bare minimum is around $10 million a year uh, of cloud spend. Um, and actually, we, we just launched a product recently. We're now making you know the first steps that we're lending our first uh, customers. So pretty exciting times. And you've also raised some money. You know, I'm sure that after having sold your previous company for 350 million, it was not that hard to find money. How, how, how did you find it different, you know, this time around on raising money? And then also, how did you go about filtering the right people for the right reasons? Right. So, yeah, it wasn't that hard, honestly. Um, and actually, in times of economic downturn, when it's hard to raise money, I actually think that like second time people that come with the right experience, it, it might be even easier because investors are looking for this like safe investment and a second timer is usually considered safer. So there is a lot of competition on the second timers. Nonetheless, I have to tell you, I got to a new market that, you know, I haven't known before. I was used to 20, right? The last time I raised money was in 20, end of 2020, right? The market was completely different. So I can tell you, you know, very transparently, when I came to the first investor and he asked me how, how much I wanted to raise, I said the number and he laughed at me. He told me, listen, you're, you're, you're completely off. Okay, this is not the market anymore. And I had to went back and to do my homework and do my research and like updating my expectations to the way the market behaves today. So I also had to do the adjustments uh, for myself. So obviously it's not as hard as someone that needs to raise like first time raising the first capital, but still I had to do the adjustments for myself. And I can also tell you that we decided not to compromise on the partners. Okay. We didn't maximize uh, or we didn't optimize for the best deal. Okay. I can tell that they got all proposals that are a lot better than the one I took eventually. But we wanted to optimize for the right partner. This one why we went with a top tier VC index ventures, although we could have gotten with not a tier one, but a tier two and get terms that are by far better. So we really decided to optimize for the right partner. So obviously here you were uh, sharing with them a vision, not to get them excited. So I guess in that regard, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of 0.5 is fully realized. What does that world look like? Oh, that's easy. That's a Gongo Nasdaq. That's easy. There you go. So I can tell you uh, from my perspective, um, and talking very transparently, okay, and thank God, like, insights got me to a position where, you know, I have completed my financial aspirations, okay? And for me, uh, moving forward, it's more about, you know, the impact. This is what I'm looking for. And this is where, for me, success would look, would, uh, success would look like building a big company, okay, on global scale, scale that is bigger than the $30 million ARR of insights, a company that would have a world impact. And I'd say like, you know, becoming public, that would be, I would say like an indication that I've managed to create a big impact. Beautiful. Now, you like getting out of your comfort zone alone. And one part of that was writing a book. 
So what is the name of the book and what can the people of the, uh, that are right now tuning in, you know, what can they, what can they find on that book? Yeah. So the name of the book is uh, The Battle for Your Computer. Actually, it came out in English just uh, last week. Um, I wrote it through my time at uh, Rapid7, which I owe them a big thank you for allowing me to do it for, while working at Rapid7. Um, and this book actually tells the story or the success story of the Israeli cybersecurity industry. So I interviewed around 50 investors and entrepreneurs, the top ones in Israel, and actually described how the Israeli cybersecurity industry became a world leader and analyzing the causes to its success. And it brings all the big stories of all the most dominant entrepreneurs uh, in Israel and do this analysis. I can tell you that like writing this book was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Like for me, as someone who likes you know, to go around and talk to people and do projects and, and like do, doing a lot of stuff, sitting down and writing and making that interesting and accurate there's been a huge challenge. Like just sitting on the chair and writing, wow, I can't tell you how hard it was. Um, I tried every like tool or methodology to keep you concentrated. Um, but finally, after like a year and a half, it was out. It was one of the most exciting things. Like the launch event was like, uh, um, it felt like a bit like a wedding when you come prepare and everyone come and welcome you and congrats you, et cetera. So it felt a bit uh, similar um, and it is a really exciting thing. And I'm really proud, you know, to share the story of the Israeli cybersecurity industry with the world. And I also believe that like the ecosystem that was built in Israel in many ways is the one that allowed me to succeed with insights. So I also have a lot of gratitude toward the Israeli cybersecurity industry and the entrepreneurs that were pioneers to build this industry because they built the basis or the platform for me to be successful with insights. That's amazing. So obviously with all the interviews that you did for uh, the book, you know, with the experience now of 0.5, with the experience too of insights as well as cyber school, if you were to go, let's say, into a time machine now, let, let me put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, to that moment where you were getting out of the military in Israel, and you're now wondering what to do. You know, obviously the, the entrepreneurial bug was calling, but let's say you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and be able to give that younger alone one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I think it would be, um, be humble. I think that in the beginning of my journey, I thought that you should be humble. You should um, um, convey that you're very confident, right? In a way, you know, you're the one who knows what needs to be done. And as I evolved as a, as a person and as, as an entrepreneur, I learned that listening and being humble and realizing that you can learn from every interaction, from every person, that was my biggest learning. So listening to customers, what they need, you know, what they ask is important and crucial. So I can tell in the beginning of my journey, I was like, a customer could have told me, hey, I need this and that. And I was like, hey, I'm not sure you know what he's talking about. Okay. Um, and as I evolved, I realized that, you know, he knows when he knows best 
And too many times he has perspective that I don't have. So for example, I always maximized for the best security, right? I was like, okay, this is the best way to secure organization. But the customer has needs that are beyond security, okay? He needs to show the value of the platform to his managers. He needs things to be operational easy so he can actually leverage and gain value from the platform. So these are things that, you know, as, as a young entrepreneur, I didn't realize. And only when I learned, you know, to be humble, to listen, to understand exactly what the customer is asking, but being very sensitive to why he's asking it, I think that was allowed us to become, you know, to grow big and be very successful. I love that. So, Alon, for the people that are listening that would love to get in touch and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, LinkedIn. Reach out, talk to me. I'm pretty responsive, and I'd be happy to continue the interaction. Well, hey, easy enough. Alon, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. For me, too. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed all of it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.